and their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us. And you remain exceedingly angry with us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I thought that maybe, since we have guests and friends, that maybe I should change our series so that you have a happy heart. But this is our eighth week in the book of uh, walking through what does it mean to lament, to to have a, a heavy heart when pain comes our way. How do we respond? This is our last and final week, our eighth week bringing to a conclusion our study in Lamentations. Now, Missio Dei Church, I I am pretty sure that when we started Lamentations, that book was not in your top ten books to read for your devotional life, right? And I, 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 amen. And I'm I'm pretty sure that even now, it's probably not a book that you're going to go back frequently for some uplifting kind of coffee book or coffee cup kind of quotes to encourage your heart. But it is an important book. This series, honestly, has has surprised me. I approached this subject of lament and pain and suffering with quite a bit of apprehension. Because I knew how dark and foreboding these chapters are. I know how we as Americans want to be happy and pursue what brings about happiness, right? But the reality is, there are many significant chapters in our life where there's sadness, where there's struggle, where there's pain, where there's loss, where we feel devastated. So somehow the Holy Spirit has helped us and has taught us some important things and has even given us a place for us to live when we're in the midst of pain. So if I I could go back, I want to remind you that there were four kind of key reasons why I wanted us to go through the book of Lamentations. The first was because pain is absolutely inevitable. Pain is inevitable, and I want you to be equipped. I want you to be prepared for when pain comes, when it hits the fan. What do you do? How do you respond? I also wanted to remind you... and. Make sure you know know that pain creates some very strong emotions. Even some scary emotions. And I want you to know what to do with those emotions in the midst of pain. I also wanted to remind you that sometimes pain does not go away quickly. 
It's not like an, a leave that you take, and a few hours later, you're pain-free. Pain doesn't quickly go away. So I wanted you to see that lament is not just a path to worship, but it is the path of worship. In the midst of pain, we worship. Entire psalms are written. The people would sing these songs in the midst of pain. I also wanted to help us understand that lament or lamenting provides a great opportunity for evangelism. We have a watching world. They are watching to see how will you, Christian brother or sister, respond in the midst of pain? Will you run away from your God? Will you shake an angry fist at Him? Will you blame everything on Him? Or how will you respond in the midst of pain? Especially when there seems to be no quick resolution. So I hope that you've discovered a brand new category for how to deal with suffering and difficulties that you will face in this life. And I really hope that the subject of lament, the book of Lamentations and Lament Psalms, will continue to be a, a special place for you in your heart. One that you don't quickly go, oh, that's a, that's a depressing one. Let's turn over and find something happier. Let's go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not... Oh. Forgetting quickly that even in there, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, there's lament in there. But yet he's able to say, I will fear no evil. What's more, I hope that even in our interesting cultural times, and it's good to see that you folks made it past the wall to get into Illinois, in these interesting cultural times, I hope this book gives you a place when you feel anxious or fearful or angry. I hope it gives a brand new category for your soul. So chapter 5. In chapter 5, this last book of the book of Lamentations, last chapter of the book of Lamentations is very different from chapter 4. It continues to have some of the very same familiar themes about the devastation of the people of Israel, right? But it's unique. For example, there are still how many verses in this chapter? 22. We got 22, which follows the, the, the idea before chapters 1, chapters 2, chapters 4, all contained 22 verses following an acrostic, a Hebrew acrostic for their alphabet. But here, it does not follow the same pattern. The verses are much shorter. They're, they have a more staccato feeling to their, to their wording. And there's a higher concentration of prayerful, prayerful statements or requests in chapter 5. And it is the most request-oriented chapter in the whole book. Chapter 5 is, is designed to be the conclusion of the book, and it offers a prayerful longing to God to bring about some level, God, bring about some level of restoration. It doesn't end all hunky-dory. If you look at verse 22, it doesn't put a nice rose on the end and just go, this is beautiful. It doesn't end hunky-dory. It ends with three prayers seeking God's help 
and deliverance with uncertainty as to when or how or even if God will answer favorably. And I think these prayers are all connected to two words, O Lord, O Lord. And we see this in three places. In verse 1, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, reign forever. And then verse 21, restore us to yourself, O Lord. You can think of these verses as saying something like, don't forget our pain, O Lord, or you still reign, O Lord. We need you desperately, O Lord. It seems to me like these three statements really serve as a great summary for this entire book and its message. So we're going to unpack those three prayers, and then we're going to see a connection to the gospel. So let's start off with the first prayer request. Remember, O Lord, what has, has befallen us. The first word in chapter 5 is important thematically as the first words in chapters 1, 2, and 4. In those earlier chapters, it started off with the word, how. How. And, and it was clearly meant to communicate an element of shock or outrage at something has that something has happened. How has this happened? How did this come about to us? We are your chosen. How, God? How, O oh Lord? Chapter 5, as you will see in a moment, has the same kind of level of outrage, but the context is communicated different here. In this chapter, the expression of outrage has turned to a heartfelt prayer. A heartfelt prayer for God to remember. God, would you remember what has happened to us? The word remember is very important when it comes to God's relationship with his people. After all, as we saw in, in the baptism of Jordan, he's a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And so here's a few examples that capture the essence of God's grace to his people and how he keeps his covenant with them. Listen to this. So after the flood, God's judgment, in Genesis 8 verse 1, it says that God remembered Noah. In Genesis 9, when God promises to never bring about a flood again and destroy his people, he said, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember my everlasting covenant. I'll remember. David cried out for mercy in, in Psalm 25, and he said this, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth. Thank God, huh? Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So the appeal to God to remember in Lamentations chapter 5 is for God to do more than to not just forget. The request is for God to deliver his people in light of their disgrace. The leveling of Jerusalem had made them yearn 
for God's help. Their pain turned them to God, asking Him to remember. To ask God to remember is both to acknowledge the pain of what had happened and to look to God for help. Remember is a great word for lament. It is a prayerful, prayer, faith-filled word for hurting people. God, would you remember? Remember? Another important word in this, this verse is disgrace. The word carries on a, a sense of blame, of ownership, of being scorned, or casting reproach on someone else. And in the context here, we see the destruction of Jerusalem, and they were ashamed because of what had happened to them under God's divine discipline. He was disciplining them. They had stepped way, way, way out of line. And verses 2 through 18 gives a catalog, a full catalog of the specifics of what the disgrace looked like. Could you imagine sitting down with your children and saying, all right, so I've been writing down. First there was this. And then there was this. You want me to talk about this a little bit more? And then this. And then this. And then this. And then this. How do your children feel after a while? They feel the weight of disgrace, right? It's like, are you serious, Dad? Another? You're going you're gonna to bring me in on that? What about, oh, I thought, forget, forget that, Dad. I thought, by, let bygones be bygones. But what happens here is that the prophet Jeremiah is recounting the disgrace. In verse 2, they were invaded. Their homes and their country were overrun. In verse 3, they felt abandoned like, a, like an orphan child or a widow after the death of her husband. The nation was absolutely alone. They were economically depressed. In verse 4, the situation in Israel was terrible and it was unrelenting. In chapter or verse 5, they were exhausted. The constant reality of destruction left them weary and with absolutely no rest. They were dependent. The nation was unsuccessfully and unwisely relying on other nations. In verse 7, they were disciplined. They felt the consequences of their rebellion. Verse 8, there was a kind of societal upheaval where everything was upended on them. Verse 9, they were desperate. They were in a survival mode, just trying to get bread. And it came down to a constant feeling threat of danger. Verse 10, they were, they were sickened. There, there was hunger and dehydration was taking a toll on their people. They were assaulted in verse 11. Their women were victimized. In verse 12, they were dishonored. Their princes and their elders were removed and their positions were no longer honored. They were oppressed in verse 13. The people were subjected to forced labor. They were mourning in verses 14 and 15. Their music ceased. In America, when, when, we, when we hit depression, it's often music that lifts our souls or tells our stories, right? 60s, you got Peter, Paul, and Mary. I just aged myself. You know, it, you know, it told a story of their pain. But even here in Israel, music ceased. It stopped. On top of that, 
Verse 16, they were ashamed. They had fallen from their prominent position of being God's chosen people. They had fallen from that. They were, they were grieved in verse 17. Israel was dealing with the, the sorrows of their condition. Verse 18, they were absolutely devastated. Do you see how the word disgrace fit well here? Everywhere they looked, there was nothing but destruction. Every aspect of the nation, every individual was affected. Everything was ruined. The nation's only hope was that God had not forgotten their plight. They were staking their claim of hope in God's promise to remember. God, would you remember? You feel like you need some hope? Look at Psalm 56, verse 8 through 11. They combined the hope of trusting in God with the assurance that our suffering is not wasted or pointless. It says this, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. To which we want to respond, if God is for me, who can be against me? But if God is for, for this I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? It's a great hope and a promise, a great promise that God sees and knows our tossings and our turnings. God sees your tears. Some of you feel lost and alone and you're going, I just want to cry by myself. And you know what? That's okay. God sees those tears. Some of you are ashamed of crying in public. And I get it. But you know what? God sees those tears, even the hidden tears. He knows your pain. He knows his promises. He has not forgotten. He has forgotten. He will not abandon his people. He is not against them. And chapter 5 reminds us that there is something enormously comforting about knowing that God knows. God does not forget. There's a second prayer. But you, O oh God, reign forever. It, it, its focus is upon the sovereign rule of God over all things. Which is really important in light of the disaster uh, that, has, that we saw in verses 2 through 18, right? That God is sovereign over all things. The circumstances of life seem to have a narrative of their own and a life of their own. You elect allow the circumstances of your life to run away by themselves without any kind of hope? What happens to your heart? You're dashed on the rocks, aren't you? If there is no hope for me, I'm, this life is pointless. But here, we're reminded, but you, O Lord, reign forever. 
without that kind of hope, you might come to the conclusion that life is really out of control, or worse, that God is not in control. However, we've heard over and over about the Lord's direct hand in all things, including the suffering of His people. In chapters 1 and 2, we heard statements like this, The Lord gave me into the hand of those whom I cannot withstand. And He also said, He summoned an assembly against me. God did it. And the Lord has set his da- the daughter of Zion under a cloud. So Babylon may be the means of judgment and discipline, but it was ultimately God who was behind it. God used a sinful pagan nation to accomplish his divine purposes. And verse 19 is short, but it is important for us to get. It acknowledges that there is a bigger reality than the suffering and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Verse 19 is acknowledging God's supremacy over everything, including pain. It recognizes that at the center of the universe is the throne of God. Right there. And this is the second but statement that kind of represents a, a, pivotal, uh, a pivotal way of thinking in the book of Lamentations. The first one we saw was in Lamentations 3.21. But this, but this, I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This verse led us to the truths, led us to truths that create hope. In other words, hope springs from truth rehearsed. When you you rehearse the truth of God, it changes the way that you look at your life. And it's an invitation to turn from the difficult circumstances to the truth about who God is. And in chapter 5, it is a statement, it is a faith statement about who is really in control in all these circumstances. In other words, you can believe what you believe about God's supremacy, His sovereignty, really, really matters when life gets difficult. For me, one of the reasons why the supremacy of God, the sovereignty of God is important, and one of the reasons that I think it should be important to you is because without it, Without the sovereignty of God in all things, without that, suffering is intolerable. It it is pointless. It is hopeless. God's sovereignty does not answer all your questions in the midst of your pain. But the presence of hard questions does not negate the reality and the hope of God's rule over all things. It's the anchor to which we cling to. He is in control. So I wonder, is there things going on in your life today? You find yourself in a particular season for which you need to pray But you, O Lord, right now, 
in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this depression, in the midst of all, you fill it in. You are in control. Do you find yourself abandoned, depressed, exhausted, desperate, assaulted, oppressed, ashamed, grieved, or maybe even just totally decimated? Has your life or some part of it been leveled recently? Or maybe not so recently, but you are still dealing with the fallout of that season of life? Are you wondering internally or maybe even externally, God, why have you forsaken me all these days? Why have you given up on me? If so, may I, may I suggest that it would be good for you to join with Jeremiah in saying, but you, O Lord, you reign forever. Or maybe, Don, could you throw up the next slide? Maybe this could be, God, I am, you fill in the blank. I am depressed. I have, you fill it in, however you're feeling in this moment. God, I am, but God, you reign forever. You're rehearsing the truth in your mind, the reality of who God is. You're reminding yourself that He's in control. He will remember. And it is a beautiful thing to rest in God's reign. Even when your life, personal life, your family, your city, your nation has been leveled. We can rest in that fact. God, in spite of what is going on, this I know, and I need to remind myself, you reign forever. The final and closing prayer of Lamentations is an appeal, a cry out for some kind of restoration. And the word restore means to turn back or to, to cause to return back to a better position or a better state of life. Restore us. It, it's, it's a promise that God would bring His people back from devastation. Restore us. Bring us back from captivity. Bring us back from this devastation. The word is so important that it is used twice in verse 21. The people desperately needed restoration. Desperately. The prophet, prophet Jeremiah sent a letter to the exiles in, in uh, Babylon to encourage them to keep on keeping on. To keep on following the Lord. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 is often one of the most poorly used evangelical uh, coffee cup verses in the world. So listen to it in the context of destruction, devastation, and the desire to be restored. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you hope, future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will 
hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. You hear who's doing the driving? The Lord again. And I will bring you back from the place from which I sent you into exile. The hope for the the people of Israel was that God would one day bring them back to their land and that He would restore their former glory. But this desire is far more than living in the glory days of David. Living in the glory days of Solomon. Living in the glory days of Hezekiah. Living in the glory days of when Israel was the most powerful nation. It's more than that. The the thing that they longed for more, the kind of restoration that was truly on their heart, was primarily being restored to God. You see, more than the loss of the temple, the city, their identity, the greatest loss was the presence and blessing of the Lord. Those other things are byproducts. The greatest blessing is God's presence with His people. That's why Jeremiah 29 talks about seeking the Lord and the people finding the Lord again. Their devastation, their loss was was designed to awaken their hearts to the greater problem of their own sin and their greater need for spiritual restoration. The destruction of the city and the temple was orchestrated by God in order that the people of God would realize how far they have fallen and in order to bring about repentance. God delivered them to their enemies in order to rescue them from themselves. God humbled them. God leveled them. And as we talked last week, God kicked out every crutch that they were depending on. God kicked them all out so that they were ultimately desperate. And that's why I think the book ends with this curious phrase. Verses 21 and 22, the last bit. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. That sounds like a good prayer. But then he goes on to say this. Renew our days as of old, unless unless you, you have utterly rejected us and have remained exceedingly angry with us. What is that about? It, it should have just ended, right, with verse 21. Restore. At least that's a happy-go-lucky kind of feel. Restore. I'm longing. Unless unless you're still angry with us. Why Why does Jeremiah do this? The book ends with this tone because, one, the people have been exceedingly humbled. They have they have had every crutch knocked out. And they do not know the full story of God's plans whatsoever. 
So I don't think that they, they're questioning God's eventual restoration. Instead, the book of, because we, we know that the book of Jeremiah promises repeatedly restoration is coming, restoration is coming, restoration is coming. Instead, what I think you find is this kind of tone here is found because of the weight of discipline has brought them to a different place. Where even their asking for restoration sounds different. God, you don't owe me a thing. You owe me nothing. I left you. I forsook you. I did these things. I did all these things. And you don't owe me a thing. In fact... In fact, I'm not so sure that I should even really be restored because you probably should still be very angry with me. You should be very angry. So what, what does suffering do? Whether it's innocent or deserved, what does it do? It changes you deeply. It changes how you look at things. I hope that this book of Lamentations changes how you see yourself, the world, the presence of sin, and the brokenness of our culture. I hope that's changed how you see the glory of God, the holiness of God, and His sovereignty of all things. I hope that you are able to see that, God, you don't owe me anything. You owe me nothing. But by grace, you have given me so much. Reading a lament or living a lament seems to tune your heart such that you seek the Lord differently. Lament causes you to look at the circumstances in your life differently, so differently, in fact, that you know it is the Lord who is doing it to you. Lament calls you to see our entire world totally differently. It allows you to actually be thankful that the Lord leveled you or made you sorrowful, yet you are always rejoicing. And this brings us to the end of Lamentations. But before we say goodbye to this book, I want to remind you that the exact same prophet who penned those five chapters of lamentation is the same prophet who, who heralded that day that the Lord would deal once and for all with the problem, underneath the problem of Jerusalem's devastation. That God is going to bring a person onto the scene to deal with your problem under the problems of your life. Listen to these hopeful words from the prophet Jeremiah as he talked about the new covenant that we see through Christ Jesus. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's the covenant. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And the prophet Ezekiel said this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate my holiness by my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the countries, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you with water, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I'll pour my spirit out upon you and cause you to walk in the statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So how does the gospel relate to lament? Through Christ, the problem underneath every single problem, our sin, through Christ, that problem was dealt with when the new covenant was inaugurated with Christ Jesus. Christ's death brought the end to condemnation, brought the end to judgment, brought the end to God's wrath for us. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection made it possible for us, brothers and sisters, to be born again and for Christ's Spirit to dwell within us. So while we live in this broken world, we look forward to the promises in God's Word that one day all the lamenting and all the pain and all the suffering and all the depression, all the devastation will cease. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he will be his, they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen? So in heaven, there will be no more funerals. Praise be to God. There will be no more divorce. There will be no more wars. There will be no more politics. There will be no more, you fill in the blank. For the former things have passed away. The old is gone and the new will come. So friends, to cry is to be human, but to lament is to be Christian. Jesus brought our restoration, and one day, very, very soon, he will bring an end to our lament. Even so, we should be able to say, come Lord Jesus. is yearning for that. Amen? Let us pray.